Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us online. And those are gathered here at all of our sites. And um, just great to be together. This is MLK weekend. A lot of people are traveling. Some of you have the day off. And uh, I hope you do. Uh, tomorrow. That's great. We were going to celebrate MLK weekend um, on January 30th. We make it a whole month deal in the Twin City area, so we're going to come back and celebrate uh, his influence at that time. This is the second message in the series called Rhythm, uh, Living in Step with God, because it's our hope um, that it will be your vision for 2022 to better live in step with God. will make all the difference for you. And so I'm going to jump right into the message today with this question. Do you recognize this guy? Say his name if you do. Yeah, pretty good. Ben, boy, Roethlisberger, what a guy. I mean, he's a man-man quarterback for the Pittsburgh team. I got the end of his game last week. It was an amazing game that put their team into the playoffs. Ours is... Not so much. <clears throat> but I, I've always been impressed just by his just dominance and strength as a quarterback. But I'll be honest, I was completely surprised and taken back when I heard him in an interview um, with a nationally televised audience say the words, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I had no idea <laughs> that he had faith. And I know for some people, they think when athletes do this, these are cringe-worthy words. But for me, I'm impressed by that public profession, perhaps because when I put my faith in Christ as a young adult, um, I was hesitant to tell others. I was pensive, maybe even a bit ashamed, wondering how they would view me if they knew that I was a Christ follower. So I'm inspired by this public profession of faith that you see for some. And I realized at 18, when I was moving in that direction, that I had clearly and declaratively received Jesus as Savior of my life. But I was still learning what it meant to welcome him as Lord of my life. And there is a difference. And I think that's the vital question for us today. Have you received Jesus Christ as Lord of your life? See, many people are glad to welcome Jesus and receive him as Savior because it comes with the promise of a life to come after this life. But even in those who profess them that um, salvation through um, faith in Christ as Savior, there are far too many who are slow to commit and surrender their lives to him as Lord because it requires a surrender that's for today and the now in anticipation of what is still to come. And yet, lordship, sincerely, is the password to an experience with God. If you want a relationship with God that's dynamic and alive, it requires lordship. And so lordship is what we're going to give our energy and attention to today. Our series is based on um, a, a, a scriptural text, a passage that is known as Shema. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm inviting you to memorize it, so let's just keep practicing it and join me as we say it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. For the next seven weeks, or six weeks now, because we started last week, well, this is a word study. So we're going to be studying the words in this passage so we really get to know it by the end of our journey here at the end of this series. And we want to know and encourage you to know that this is the, I'd say, the most important passage of Scripture for the Hebrew people. 
Parents teach it to their children as soon as they learn to speak. Devout Jews recite it two times a day, in the morning and in the evening. It is the longing of the heart of every Jewish person to be able to say this prayer before they have their last breath on the face of the earth. They hope it's their very last words. And it's as important to us as Christians as it is to them as Jewish people, the Hebrew people, because Jesus, when he was asked what is the greatest command, answered the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he added to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a really important text for us to know in heart, mind, and soul in our expression of surrendering our life to his lordship. So today, we're going to look at what Lord means. That's the word study today. And then I'm going to share three ways that you could be affirmed that indeed he is Lord of your life. And then I'm going to ask several questions just quite simply at the end that help you live daily with the Lord um, as being Lord of your life. So today's key word is the Lord is our, our I'm sorry, I started last week. I wanna, I wanna go there because not everybody was here. We started last week with the word hear, hear, O Israel. And in Hebrew, it's Shema Israel. It is uh, the name of the passage that we're studying. It is the, the first word in the passage that we're studying. And it's the 2020 word of the year that I've chosen that we integrate a word of the year throughout the year. It's the first time I've taken a non-English word. It's a Hebrew word. And it is a great word. Shema, it means to hear or to listen. And I chose the word because I thought, what would happen in our nation, in our communities, in our families if we listen better? Good has to flow from that. Don't you agree? So Shema is the word of the year. We're inviting you to learn it and to live it. So I'm going to invite you to say it with me. Shema. Shema. And it's a fun word to say, isn't it? Just have a little Jewish expression. It's Shema. Yeah. Well, okay. You don't have to have the hands. I'll do that for you. <laughs> But it means listen and obey. It means hear and be faithful. They go together. It's not just listen and hear. It's hear and be faithful. Today's key word is the Lord. Lord. The Lord our God. In Hebrew, it's Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Eloheinu. Say that with me. Adonai Eloheinu. It's a word study. We're in class today. You're going to learn Hebrew in this series and have fun doing it. Um, Adonai is the personal name, the divine name of God. And maybe I could correct that a little bit because his divine name is Yahweh, Yahweh. But because the Jewish people will not say that name out loud, it's his personal name, his divine name. It's too sacred, it's too treasured. They've replaced Yahweh in the scriptures with Adonai so they can express um, this intimacy with the Lord um, in this matter. And it is a holy name to be spoken. We even capture it in our English Bibles. When you're reading the English Bible, you will find that the name Lord um, sometimes appears as all capital letters. When you see that, that is Adonai or Yahweh, the very personal name of God. And it causes pause for the Hebrew person to come to Adonai, that word in the Holy Scriptures. Many of them put their hands to their face. They're just undone by the reverence that is in their hearts to be able to call him Adonai Lord. And when God is referred to as Adonai, he is seen as owner and master. But it's an intimate word. It's his love and allegiance expressed in personal relationship. 
It's not a power over, even though he has all of that power. He powers under, which we see even in the coming of Jesus to the cross. And it reminds us that yet he is in control, not me. That he is the owner of everything, not me. That everything that I have and am is his, not mine. And it changes then how I view God, how I live for him, and even serve his purposes. But it also, when he has that name Adonai, master, he has a responsibility to that which he owns. To guide it and protect it. To come alongside and and give care for it. And so our response is to yield to him as Lord, as the one who is our master, the one who owns everything, is to surrender our all to him according to his way and will and not our own. So it's just one thing for us to know that God exists. And there are many people who do, and some may be here today that just God exists, but it's another thing to call him Adonai and to call him the Lord over all that which exists through his name. It means something more intimate and practical and significant in our everyday life. I, I was trying to find a, an analogy that would just communicate the heart of this because when you hear owner and master, you can have different images and I was hard pressed. In fact, I went to, I have a bookshelf of sermon illustrations that goes back to 40 year, years and I should really get rid of most of them. <laughs> but I tried to find an analogy and couldn't find anything that was meaningful to me in it. And, uh, and so I called three of my pastor friends to ask if they had anything. We had a great conversation, but they got nothing. They had nothing. I go, How could we not have anything on such an important thing? So I pressed and said, Lord, give me a picture. And he gave me one, uh, a word picture. And I'm going to tell you, it's inadequate, but it does give you a glimpse. I grew up in a home. My father was the owner of restaurants. And I had the privilege to be his son. And he put me to work early on. And I was glad to work. I wanted to be in his space as much as I possibly could be in his space. And I would observe him as a young boy going into teenage years and even as a young adult. And I go, I want to be like my dad in so many ways. I, I want to be like he is, the way that he uh, is the owner of the business. Um, the way he steps in and he greets people when they come through the door. He just went above and beyond, and you felt a warmth, like you belonged. I mean, it was an amazing thing. You wanted to be around my father. I think about the way he treated the employees, always with dignity and respect. And I'm telling you, this is a hard business. Restaurant businesses, and you see, even in the pandemic, I just say, I encourage you, take advantage to support your local restaurants. Tip really, really well. They work so hard, and they give their best, you know, but my father would and there's a revolving door. They're coming and going very fast. But he always treated them with respect. Wanted them to be with them as much as possible. I would follow him. I want to be in that given way. Or the way he prepared food. I wish you could eat my dad's food. It was so good. He was a baker at first. His, his first restaurant was um, the Dixie Bake Shop. Isn't that a great name? And he loved to bake. That was his passion. It was his forte. But he eventually got asthma from all of the powders and that you had to work with. And he moved into other things like Mexican food. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a, I don't know. It happened. But he just had a passion for food. And honestly, if you could meet and eat his chocolate cake, you would go, I wish I was his son. Because <laughs> it was the best chocolate cake you could ever have. You know, and the way he cared for the space, kept it clean. Um, he just was 
even the environment, he had put flowers, he had a green thumb, he had flowers outside the restaurant that just, I mean, it was just like the Garden of Eden. He just had a gift. He cared. I'm just telling you, no one cares as much as the owner. And when you're under the influence of that and you see the goodness, you want to be like that. And that was my case and my journey. I wanted to be like that. In fact, he's probably most known for his hot sauce from his Mexican restaurants. He would make it in batches and sell it by the gallons, not in little 12-ounce jars, by the gallons. And uh, when he was uh, to pass away many years ago now, um, no one had the recipe. It was in his head. He owned the recipe. And we were all afraid we'd never have his hot sauce again. And my son just pleaded with him before he passed, would you share the recipe? And it was just so hard because he was not well. But one day he said, come down to my kitchen. He had a kitchen in his lower home and with all of his spices. And his hot sauce had about 15 spices. And he set it all up and he, on the table and he put his hand in the spices and he says, it's this much. Put it in this much. And put it in his hand. He never had it written down. It was just in him. And so we measured it at all. And every year we make it. And we spread to keep that legacy because we want to be like him in those ways. That's what lordship is, that he owns everything. And the way he is with everything that he owns makes us want to be in his presence and makes us want to be like him in our lives. That's what we have in this beautiful Adonai Eloheinu. And it causes us to be humble, I pray, and forever be in awe for the privilege of calling the creator of the universe Adonai Eloheinu, our creator God. This is a gift. We treasure it in our life and our journey. Well, the passage continues, and it says, the Lord is one. In Hebrew, it's Adonai Echad. Would you say that with me? Adonai Echad. A little more work on that one. Adonai Echad. It's a little more Echad. The daily prayer, and it's a daily prayer for Hebrew people, serves as a reminder that the exclusive claim of our affection is for one God. That he created us to cherish him first as the first priority of our life. And to worship him and no one else. And it flows in other teachings of the scripture. The first commandment that he gave to us. You shall have no other gods before me. Because God knows that we are susceptible and temptation to give our affection and to have little affairs with little gods. And in fact, it was so common for the people of Israel to do this that God calls her, quote, an unfaithful and an adulterous wife. I mean, those are powerful words. And I'm sure there's not a soul here that's untouched and is not aware what infidelity does to relationships. It's tough. It kills any love rhythms. And God's trying to Elevate the rhythm of love that he intends for us. So when we give our affections to other gods first, um, we're saying, Adonai, Lord, you're not great enough to meet my needs. And so we find other things and other people and we create gods out of them. We give our affection to them so that they could complement what God gives to us and they could help meet our needs along the way. And we do this with so many things. We can make our God money, power, sex, romance, education, even our nation. We can make a God of our nation where we give our first affection to our nation because what a privilege to be here rather than to God himself. But mostly we give it to stuff, to things 
like cars. Now I'm speaking personally. <laughs> this is my Delta 88 convertible. When oh. Carrie and I got married, I'm telling you, it was a cherry car. And it was a monster beast. It was beautiful, white sidewall. I love driving this car. And I had a sense of power when I drove this car. It had a huge engine in it. It was beautiful, lean, and the, my bride, too. <laughs> I know what you're thinking right now. But here's my point. I gave way too much affection to this car. I had to think that I actually had a love affair with a car, can you? I spent stupid money to keep that car going. And in fact, I wasn't giving, even as an early Christian, much money to the Lord at all because my car required it. I gave it too much attention and affection and I realized it had more of me than God himself did. And I sold it because of that. And that was a hard sale for me, but I knew my soul was in a place where I was giving my energy and attention into the wrong places. That's what God's do. And we have to become aware of them. I will say this, that today I could have that car and be okay because I'm in a different place. I'm not going to give my affection to it in the same way. I'm going to enjoy the beauty of what God allows us to create. Adonai Echad, our Lord is one. It just calls to us as God's people to acknowledge him as our God and to remember we are his people. And by the way, lordship is beautifully and inseparably linked to the very name of Jesus himself. He is called Adonai. And in this particular passage, Luke 6, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. There you find um, Adonai or Shema, hear and do. Um, obey and be faithful um, as you listen to me and, and watch what I will do. You will see a remarkable difference in people who call me Adonai and Lord because of what their life looks like. And that's where I want to go with the remainder of our time. How do you know if Jesus is Lord of your life? It's, it's evidenced in how you live in several ways. And I'm going to give you three because I want you to leave here today with less doubt and more confidence that Adonai, Lord, is your Lord and let him shape you in the beauty of all he intends for you in life. So three ways, briefly, each of them is first, if Jesus is Adonai of your life, then you get a new identity. You're caught up in a transformation of how you view the world, how you view God, how you view yourself, how you view others, how you relate to all of these entities. And probably the best passage on lordship in the New Testament is Luke 9, the words of Jesus. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoa, that stops us right there. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. What a paradox. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So you can see there's identity language, and it's radical in how he expresses it. Jesus is saying, follow me. And it's a lordship issue. And do you notice that he uses crucifixion language that's not what we would expect from the God who loves us so much, but it's what he did for us. And we're told to pick up our cross, which simply means to die to self. And why does he call to die to self? Because he knows we want to be in control. 
And we have this issue in different ways in our lives. I mean, just out of curiosity, if you feel bold and transparent and humble enough, does anybody here have a control issue with anything? Can I just see your hands? <laughs> see, this is what Jesus knows about you and me, and that's why we've been given this call. And the Apostle Paul says himself, my life is not my own. And that was a guy with major control issues. But as he welcomed Adonai, Lord, into his life, he says, my life is not my own. It's owned by the owner, and it's a different life. And he doesn't do it with regret for the old life. Not at all. It's, it's rejoicing. It's with gladness that he says, my life is not my own. It's better than ever I could have dreamed because of Adonai, the Lord of my life. It's a call for me to release the old self by his power and to embrace the new Joel and for you to do the same. And then he says in this passage, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. If you build your life, he's saying, on anything else but me, you will lose your very self, your true self. The true self that you spend your life trying to figure out, who am I along the way? He owns that. And when we leave him out of it, we're left vulnerable. This is really a beautiful promise here. He's saying, I'm going to help you find out who you really are because until you know me as Adonai and Lord, you really won't know who you really are. And what you will do is let other voices shape your sense of identity, the voices in your head, the voices of your parents, the voices of your colleagues or your boss, and they start to tell you who you need to be rather than God himself. And you leave him out. And this is why I come back so often to Henri Nouwen's beautiful words related to identity when he says, I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not what people say about me. I am the beloved son or daughter of the living God. Because the standards that we have concerning self tend to be what I have and what I do. Why do you ask people when you first meet them? What do you do for a living? But it is our belovedness that shapes our identity as the core and the flow of what the Lord intends for us. So lordship and identity is basically the same thing. That means that your number one allegiance of your life becomes your identity. And that's a humbling thing. Uh, Rebecca Pippert, one of my favorite authors, wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. I would use this book in several of my classes when I taught at Bethel. And um, I want to share her words. They're so poignant when she says, whatever controls us is really our God. The one who seeks power is controlled by power. The one who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. Jesus' ownership of our lives is not a control that manipulates us or takes away our dignity. He governs our lives by being who he is without compromise and by insisting that we become all that we are meant to be. And this can only occur by following him and maintaining a living, passionate kinship to him. It is to call him Adonai and Lord. It is to surrender my life to his way and his will, not my own way and my own will. And in so doing, we discover beautiful things. So what she's saying is whatever you pursue most, will be the Lord of your life. If you mainly pursue acceptance, 
then you will be controlled by other people because your need to be approved by them is so strong. If you mainly seek out power, you will become a power monger. You will be controlled by that power in your decision making. If it's Adonai that you pursue, then the Lord is going to shape your life into all he wants you to be, what he breathed life into you, so you discover your very purpose in your journey. So I guess the question is, are you caught up in life transformation? Have you received Jesus as Savior, but then because he's your Lord, you let him change your life, how you view the world, how you enter into relationships, and how you prioritize him in it, which is the second thing. If Jesus is Adonai of your life, you make him priority. You just do. It changes your prioritization process. Jesus says, follow me to this guy. And this guy says to him in Matthew, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Wow. Oh, he just puts it on the table, doesn't he? I mean, this is a priority statement that he's giving here. And it kind of shocks us because he seems so insensitive. I know that I'd want to bury my own father if he died. In fact, yesterday I had the privilege to officiate a graveside ceremony. A dear friend of mine um, who lost his wife all too soon, and it was quite the deal, to say the least. But I experienced something I'd never experienced in 41 years of ministry yesterday. You've seen this in the movie where um, the, the, the grieving person who's just lost the deceased one takes a shovel and puts the dirt into the hole at the end of that little ceremony. Well, I saw something yesterday that I'd never seen. This particular husband who just lost his wife took the shovel and put the dirt in but could not stop. He filled the whole hole. And he wept because that love is so deep. Jesus is not insensitive to this love that we have for spouse or children or to parents. He's very much aware of it. But something is being said here that we must take note of because what he's saying here is in the context that's bigger than this, the verse that I just read right here, is that the guy's father is not yet dead. And so the guy is saying just... Let me live with my father a little longer. And when he dies, after he dies, then I will follow you. In other words, I'll get back to you later, Jesus. Have you ever done that? I'll get back to you later. That's what this moment is. His priorities are out of order, and Jesus is calling that out. And he also misses the urgency because he assumes that he could leave today and come back later to follow Jesus. But you know this, sometimes tomorrow never comes. Because the tyranny of the urgent just consumes our everything. And so I hear things like this all the time. When my kids are grown up, then I'll give God priority in my life. When my job settles down and I have a little more white space, then I'll give God the priority in my life. When I have more financial resources, then I'll start to give to the purpose of God. I can go on and on, but you get the idea here. Um, we have this mindset, I'll get to you later, Jesus. And we're convicted in these words of Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, do it now. Don't assume you even have tomorrow. Do it now. And this call um, is to say, don't let anything else get in the way. Let the dead bury their own dead. It seems insensitive. What he's just saying there is, let those who are indifferent to the ways of the Lord, who are perhaps not followers of the Lord, take care of the things of this world. 
I pull back on this and just ask the question, is this you in any kind of way? Have you ever found yourself in a place where um, you know that Jesus is prompting you and he's saying, in essence, follow me, and you say, I'll get back to you later on that one, Jesus. Then we want to take in this and realize when we're caught up, he becomes the priority of not just everything, but in everything. So now I show up at work and I integrate faith at work because his voice matters to me. He's Lord of my life. So if you're a jerk every day at work, there's a question of lordship for you. (laughs) I hope you're not. The way you treat a friend, um, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, is influenced by lordship. He's not just the Lord of our lives, he's the Lord in our lives, and it's the Jesus in us that gets communicated to the relationships around us, and we welcome that lordship. Third way, and briefly, is if Jesus is Adonai of your life, you belong to a new community. In other words, um, we is greater than me. When we don't have God as Adonai of our lives, me is greater than we. But he inverses the focus of our energy. 1 Corinthians 12, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. The body, in verse 13, is a unit and Jesus is the head. We're part of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. Each of us are members of the body. We're intertwined. We can't go alone. We're not individualistic. We function together as a team. We are his community because Jesus automatically saves us into community. Your salvation is not about you alone and the promise of heaven to come. It's connected in his purposes with others in the here and now. We belong together. That's what lordship means. We're connected together. We care for each other and we hold each other accountable with gentleness to the body way of Christ who is our head. My first basketball coach, and I was maybe 12, something like that, was uh, Frank Hansen, Coach Frank Hansen. He was a lovely man um, and a good coach. And I'm a young guy just moving into puberty. God bless every coach who deals with kids moving into puberty, right? You know, you're, you're in that space and sideways in so many different ways. And I'm in a game, and I'm not going to go into the detail, but I lost it. And things came out of my mouth. I was exasperated. I was frustrated. I was having a pity party. I was just playing horribly, and I was just lost in myself. And he pulled me out of the game. And he took, tucked me in right beside him, put his arm around me. Gently, he spoke into my ear. He said, Joel, you're part of a team. This is not about you. The way you are behaving is not acceptable on this team. You may be seated on the bench, which is just embarrassing. Fourth quarter comes, he puts me back into the game because I'm part of the team. I've never forgotten that. Frank Hansen died last year, 2021. A lot of losses in 2021 for me. And I had the opportunity to go visit him and got to be with him an hour before he passed. I didn't know he was going to pass in an hour, but I got there and he was in hospice care dealing with cancer and his family was there and I leaned into his ear and I'm just going to tell you, I loved on him and I thanked him for the beautiful, valuable message that he gave to me so long ago. It's not about me. I'm part of a team. We have been saved into community and it matters. So our team has worked overtime here at Westwood to serve the bigger team of our church called Westwood. It's what he, we do. We want to give our best that we could grow together, hold each other accountable, to love each other in the way of the Lord. 
And so we have a rhythm guide for you, which we've encouraged you to pick up, or you can download if you want to do that. If you picked one of these up last week, throw it away and pick this one up. We've revised it. It happens. <laughs> Everything's about adapting, right? Um, we have um, new small groups that's, that are launching today, next week, and the next week we're giving a lot of attention to that on rhythms. You can join a new rhythm group if you want. We have a, um, we have a, we have a new small group called Victory Over Darkness. If you just get stuck around the things you want to have the Lord of your life, but you keep falling back into sin and you don't know why it is because you really want to live faithfully to him, you want to be in one of those small groups. Um, or we have a sacred rhythms class. There's just different ways. And if you're still online with us, that's great. I just encourage you, just don't come to worship with us. Engage with us because we were saved for community. We need each other. See, friends, no one will ever love you like Jesus. His last breath was for you and... You're broken, you know, you've done things and you're mindful of what you've done and think, why would God want anything to do with me? But your past failures and broken promises and wounds, he sees them all. He meets us right where we're at and he takes us to where he wants us to become. So don't delay. And don't say, I'll get back to you later, Jesus. The best decision you will ever make in your life is when you receive him as Savior and welcome him as Lord. And that's a daily journey. I don't have the time to unpack in detail. Let me just put up four questions that you can use because I think, quite honestly, we are saved at that salvation that we have in Christ. We receive Christ as Savior once, but we welcome him as Lord every day. A few questions. I just put them up there. Am I humble? That is, or am I proud? Because God opposes the proud. And it's only when you're humble that you'll be available for what he wants to do in and through you. Second, am I obeying? Am I complying with all of God's commands or am I choosing the ones I like and ignoring the rest? Real problem in our Christian culture today. Third, am I relying? Am I holding on to things that I need to die to, like a Delta 88 convertible? <laughs> then die to it and find freedom. And fourth, am I expecting? Am I believing his resources are greater than my limitations? Because we live all too often by our limitations. I'm all too familiar with my insecurities, my inadequacies, and if I stopped with them, I would never be standing here. But I have to have this conviction, as Adonai is Lord, that I'm available for him to do whatever he wants to do in and through me in spite of my limitations. And this is what God does for all of us. So I invite you, on this day, don't make it later, receive him as Savior and welcome him as Lord, and you will have the best life you could possibly have. Why don't you stand together and we'll close and then I'm gonna invite the worship leaders to come up at our different sites and we're gonna sing the Shema with joy, okay? Father God, thank you for who you are, what you've given to us. As the owner and the master, we're humbled that we get to call you um, Adonai. Adonai, Lord. Lord, forgive me for ordering my life around something or someone other than you. Forgive me. For I believe you are God, so be the Lord of my life. You are my identity, so I will be loyal to you and order my life around you. You are my priority. I will set my affections and my worship on you and live it out in all of my relationships. You are my community. I will serve you and others, for that is what you have saved me into, a community where I belong and care and can hold each other up. And Lord, may we all take time this week to reflect and repent of those things that threaten your place as first place in our lives. Great Adonai, 
Lord of my life, I pray in Jesus' name.